Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, Micah's Message of Hope. So let's turn in our Bibles to Micah chapter 5, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, The Long-Expected Messiah. There's a passage in the book of 2 Peter that expresses the frustration that many people have, indeed expresses the despair that the hope of the ages is merely a pipe dream. 2 Peter 3 verse 4, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That is, nothing seems to ever change. Evil and sometimes good, I guess, wars and sometimes peace. This old world just keeps on spinning. And the promise of the latter days and the end of the evil age and the coming of Jesus the Messiah to rule in righteousness and bring an era of peace on earth, that promise, it just never seems to come about. All things continue as they always have. And I think that about sums up the despair of the skeptic. You know, those of us who are paying attention, while well, we see every reason for hope. I mean, after all, Christmas itself is the reason for our hope. Now, we've been looking at the prophecy of Micah set somewhere around 740 BC. Of course, Micah prophesied over 25 years. I just make that point. And the first three chapters of the book are an analysis of just how wicked Judah had become and how both the political leaders and the religious leaders had become corrupt. Idolatry was everywhere. The mistreatment of the poor, that was common. Justice was hard and even impossible to find. The law of God was virtually ignored. And so Micah prophesied that Jerusalem would be overthrown. It would become, in his words, like a plowed field. But then comes a hope, the kind of hope that the skeptic mocks at. When the Messiah comes, says Micah, Jerusalem will become the center of the earth and the Messiah will rule all of the earth and bring about two things. He'll bring righteousness and he'll bring peace. Now, as wonderful as that hope is, one can almost hear the skeptic. All wonderful, says the doubter, but all things carry on as they always have. But with the sound of the skeptic ringing in our ears, let's open our Bible and turn to Micah chapter 5. Remember, I called this short series that Micah's message of hope. And chapter 5 explains why the title. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Notice the first word in the sentence. It's the word now. If you've been following me through this series, you've noticed that several times in the past, the word now is used. It's Micah's way of signaling that he moves from the future hope of the Messiah back to the reality that he's facing in his day. From the future hope to the present reality, now, now in the day of Micah. It was a time for Judah to muster her troops because a siege would soon be laid against her. Now, most Bible scholars believe Micah is referring to the Assyrian invasion that was to come. The Assyrian king Sennacherib had been defeating nation after nation and utterly destroying one civilization after another. He had instituted a new policy. He would take whoever was left in a defeated country, he would deport the entire population to another land, and then he would replace that population with a different people group and thus bring to an end entire nations and their cultures forever. And then he was coming to Jerusalem. He is coming, says Micah. And so now it was the time for Israel to muster her troops, for the days of siege were upon her. 
Those of you who know your Old Testament will remember how miraculously Jerusalem was rescued in those days. An angel of the Lord went out one night, killed 185,000 Assyrian troops, effectively rescuing the chosen people from certain extinction. And so as Micah puts it, now in our days, leading to the Assyrian invasion, the people of God were to muster troops, even though they would be struck on the cheek. That is, in their own power, Israel would be unable to defend themselves against such an overwhelming force. You know, perhaps some thought Jerusalem would now become a plowed field. But we know that Jerusalem would be defeated, but in the future, not in the now. So consider the now in Micah's time. There's a crisis brewing, very dark, threatening clouds on the horizon. And with that, we come to verse 2, as Micah goes very easily from the now to the time of the future. Verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, before we go into this verse in detail, go back with me to Micah 4, verse 8. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, the former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, yesterday, when we discussed Micah 4, I left this verse out. I saved it for today. In Micah 4, Micah says a former dominion shall come, and that former dominion is the kingdom of David. As David had dominion over Israel in his days, he defeated his enemies, he established the borders of Israel, he secured the nation. Once again, like the kingdom of David, one of David's descendants will come. And as Micah said in the previous verse, that king would reign from Mount Zion and he would rule over the entire earth. Now it's with those words still ringing in our ears that Micah contrasts the current times of trouble with a future time of peace and security. The offspring of David is surely coming, he says. And now in chapter 5, verse 2, Micah tells us where help will come. It will come, it turns out, from the place David came from, from Bethlehem, the place where David was born. In that same place, the final great world ruler, the Messiah, will be born in Bethlehem. It's an unlikely place because it's so small and so seemingly insignificant. Think of it in terms of the drama found in the book of Micah. The Assyrians, the rising cruel empire, were marching through the Middle East and they were bringing an end to one civilization after another. Now that was significant. But what significant thing can be said about Bethlehem? Too little, says Micah, to be among the clans of Judah. So some have suggested that the word clan, which really is an extended family unit, in time, that word came to be used as a numerical unit or a military company of a thousand men. It's a, a company in battle. But the clans of Bethlehem, that's how Micah uses the word, is too small to actually form a military unit at all. Never mind, you know, repelling the Assyrian invasion. Too small, too weak, too unimportant. And if you don't know, it's that that forms the heart of the Christmas story. Joseph, the carpenter of Nazareth, in itself Nazareth, an insignificant city. He's engaged to Mary, and she's found to be pregnant before they're married or have come together. And then an angel appears to Joseph and tells him, don't hesitate to take Mary as your wife. She's been faithful. She's not been immoral. She's pregnant because of a miracle of the Holy Spirit. She's still a virgin. And as a virgin, she will give birth to the Savior of the world. In the meantime, the really significant stuff, the things that go on record, 
Rome and the center powers of the world, well, they've just issued a decree. Everyone has to go to their own city of heritage to be registered for the coming taxation. Joseph and Mary are to journey to Bethlehem because Joseph, and, and for that matter, so is Mary, they're of the ancestral lineage of King David. And there, because of that inconvenient taxation scheme, they go to the insignificant town of Bethlehem in an animal shelter where Mary gives birth to Jesus, thus fulfilling Micah's prophecy, the ruler of Israel is going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, after Micah said these things, that the Messiah would be born there, all Israel remembered. Generation after generation remembered what Micah said. The great hope of the ages was going to come from Bethlehem. You might remember John 7, 42. You know, this is what the people said. Has not the scripture said that the Christ would come from the offspring of David and come from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Yeah, yeah. they were quoting from Micah 5, verse 2. But notice what else Micah says. Yep, Bethlehem is an unlikely choice for the ruler of the earth because of its insignificance, but it's from there that the great ruler of Israel will indeed come, the ruler of Israel, and then Micah adds, whose coming forth is from ancient days. Now, Micah might have meant that he comes from of old, that is, from historic times. But there are times in the Bible when the phrase from ancient days actually means from eternity past. Example would be, you know, Psalm 74, verse 12, which says that God, my king, is from of old. That is, from ancient days. The phrase ancient days refers to God's eternal existence. Although we can't make the case with certainty here, and yet it seems to me that Micah is saying that the Messiah is born in Bethlehem, but his origin extends back to the ancient days of eternity past. That is, the great king to save the world will be a descendant of David to be sure. He's going to be born in Bethlehem to be sure, but his origins go back further than David. His origins are rooted in eternity. And there in the insignificant town of Bethlehem, there is where the eternal God will step into the world and deliver the world from evil. And that, says Micah, is the hope of Israel. That's the hope of the earth. Christmas comes the same time every year, whether we're ready or not. We can't put the season on snooze until we're in a cheery mood. Christmas doesn't wait. It comes to find us where we are, as we are. This year, Christmas arrives to a troubled world. How can we celebrate Christmas in days of tension? It's in times such as these that Christmas is celebrated best. God sent his son as light and rescue in days of despair and darkness. The father didn't wait for the world to improve. He sent Jesus as help and hope for us all. In troubled times, we don't delay Christmas, we run to it. That's our prayer for you this season. On behalf of the whole team here at Back to the Bible Canada, Merry Christmas, Jesus has come, and he remains Emmanuel despite difficult days. Micah's vision has fascinated people for generations. A vision given in times of evil set, you know, against the dark clouds of a rising cruel empire. Micah tells of a time when evil will end. The chosen one, the Messiah, will arrive in Bethlehem and save us from utter ruin. And because of that, in time, Jerusalem would become the center of the earth and the center of the Messiah's rule. But in the meantime, 
Don't put your hope in the leadership of Jerusalem. Instead, fix your eyes on that small little hick town, that insignificant village not far from Jerusalem. For there, the Ancient of Days will step into the human race. And when that happens, the hope of the earth will be born. So let's continue to read what Micah says. Verses 3 to 5a. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace." You know, it's often the case when reading the prophets, you've got to slow down and, you know, answer who the he and who the hymns are. You know, therefore, he shall give them up. I mean, who shall give whom up, we ask? Well, the he must refer to God. Therefore, God will give them up. Well, what does that mean? Well, the him must refer to Israel, the chosen people of God. God will give Israel up. Again, we're puzzled. Give them up how and when? And how does this relate to the birth of the Messiah in the village of Bethlehem? Well, the answer to our questions are found in the wider message of the book of Micah. Micah taught us, especially in the first three chapters, that God was going to punish Israel for her sins. And then in chapter 4, verse 10, you remember it? The passage said to Israel, you shall go to Babylon. That's to say, you may escape the immediate threat of the Assyrians, but eventually another enemy will come and he's going to utterly defeat you. God will give you up. And that's what's meant here. Israel, because of her sins, was going to be given up by God to the Babylonians who would be permitted to burn her temple to the ground and take her into exile. He's going to give you up, Micah says. But Micah also predicted that God would rescue them from Babylon, and that also happened. Eventually, through the decree of Cyrus the Great, as Isaiah had predicted, Israel would go back to the promised land. But as we know from history, Israel was again conquered. And eventually, when we come to the New Testament, Israel is laboring under the rule of the Roman Empire. Yeah, they're in their own land, but they're a defeated people. Again, God has given them up. But look again at Micah 5, verse 3a. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. So here's the next question we need to answer before we understand Micah's message of hope. Who is she who's in labor? See, a great many scholars argue that the one who's in labor must be the city of Jerusalem, surrounded by the Assyrians, and, you know, then the Babylonians, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then Antiochus Epiphanes, that Syrian madman, and then the moment of independence from foreign empires, only to fall to the Romans again. I mean, hasn't Jerusalem suffered like a woman in labor? I hope you see it. Eventually, she who is in labor, that is Jerusalem, will give birth to the Messiah. Well, I kind of agree with that, only that it's not Jerusalem that sees the birth of the Messiah. It was Bethlehem. And she who is in labor can't be a reference to Bethlehem because Bethlehem was not in labor as Jerusalem was. No, no. She who is in labor must be the woman who gives birth to the Messiah. Therefore, Israel will continue to be given into the hands of foreigners who will oppress them until in the town of Bethlehem, a woman in labor gives birth to the Messiah. And so she who is in labor must mean the mother of the Messiah. I've already pointed out because of the similarities between Isaiah and Micah that it's very likely that the two men worked with each other as colleagues and collaborated with each other. And it was Isaiah who said in Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So getting back to Micah, Israel will be given up until the woman who is in labor gives birth, the woman whom Isaiah said would be a virgin. But the rest of verse 3, well, that seems troublesome. The passage declares that when the Messiah is born and then later when he's grown, that the rest of his brothers would return to the people of Israel, the rest of his brothers in wider context, that must refer to the rebellious household of Israel. And here's where we'd stop and wonder. I mean, can Jesus, although he is born of a virgin and he was born in Bethlehem, can he be assumed to be the Messiah? I mean, after all, as we know, Jesus didn't cause all of Israel to turn to God, nor did he end the Roman oppression. So what gives? Let's go back to Micah 5 verse 3. The rest of his brothers would return to Israel. Well, that seems to have not transpired. Indeed, we might think of Jesus standing on the brow of the hill overlooking Jerusalem. Listen to his words recorded in Matthew 23, 37 to 39. How Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See your houses left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We know that in the end of the day, rather than shepherding his people to a national revival, well, the crowds gathered at the urging of the religious leaders and they shouted and screamed that the Roman governor would crucify Jesus. Indeed, after thoroughly rejecting the Messiah in the year AD 70, And in accordance with the prophecy that Jesus had made, the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem. They burned the temple to the ground, as had already been done in the days of Babylon. And then they drove Israel from their land, in which they were in exile for nearly 2,000 years. If, as Micah predicted, that the Messiah would come and Israel would dwell secure, well, how did Jesus fulfill that? Well, part of the answer to that question comes from Jesus himself. Over and over again, as the disciples expected him to go to Jerusalem, they expected him to sit on David's throne and bring together the lost and forsaken house of Israel. Jesus continually interrupts them and says, no, no, when I go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be shamefully mistreated by the religious leaders. They're going to beat me and they're going to put me to death. And three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And we also know that later, When Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 9, he says he's got deep sorrow in his heart, unceasing anguish, he says, for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Yeah, after Jesus' death and resurrection, the majority of Israel rejected their Messiah. And in consequence, as Jesus said, their house was left to them desolate. I mean, given that historical reality, how are we to think about Micah's prophecy? Well, part of the answer to that comes about as we read the rest of Micah chapter 5. In verse 5, Micah returns to the day of trouble. Indeed, he returns to the now. I spoke about that earlier. He begins by saying, When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces. A great many Bible teachers think that the Assyrians in Micah, they represent the ongoing threat against Israel in the future from the Babylonians, from the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, and to the innumerable threats since then from the Inquisitions, to the Nazis, to the present era. What a horror has constantly faced Israel. Micah's saying it seems like one group of Assyrians after another. They line up and they constantly molest. You know, I, I want to say that Micah's not giving us a picture that once the Messiah is born, that immediately everything goes to peace. 
the many Assyrians will still march through the land. But Micah's giving hope. Eventually, the one born in Bethlehem, he's going to bring an end to these continual invasions, to the Assyrians lining up. The remnant of Israel will recognize their Messiah. They're going to rally to him, and in the end, he will root out evil from Israel and execute vengeance on Israel's enemies. And that brings us back to Jesus, standing there before Jerusalem, weeping over them. You remember what he said? He said, you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But that means that the day is coming when Israel will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, it turns out that people of Israel, as well as the people of the earth, have a destiny with the one who's born of a virgin in that little town of Bethlehem. This one has already conquered death. He's already reconciled all who hope in him to the Father. And if he can do that, can he not execute vengeance on the enemies of God, whoever the Assyrians are in this day, reconcile Israel, reign in Jerusalem, bring an end to evil, and bring about universal peace? That's the hope of the Messiah. The reason why the doubters and the skeptics are wrong is because of Bethlehem. In that little unknown, insignificant city, a Savior was born who is the Messiah, Christ the Lord. That's the concrete evidence that we have, that our hope is secure. Thanks so much, John. You know, at Christmas, I think it's important to understand that we're not celebrating merely the founder of a new religion. But what are we celebrating? Yeah, so that, thank you. Ben, that's such an important thing to say. And it's important for us, especially if we have uh, neighbors, friends, uh, people who have a different religion or that kind of thing, uh, to explain this matter to them. Uh, What Christmas is all about is that God himself stepped into the world, clothed himself in human flesh, and that God had come to rescue his people from their sins. So when we say it that way, We're not speaking about the founding of religion. We're speaking about the action of God stepping into the human race. Once people are helped to understand that, they'll recognize that it's not a unique message for Christians. It's a message for the whole world. And to the extent that we can communicate that, we are able then to communicate why this is something that every single human being should listen to. So important for us to get that. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Micah's Message of Hope, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. There's no denying that these past few years have been full of hardships on a global scale. Can you imagine facing these troubles daily without the knowledge of a sovereign God? I can't. The reality is that there are millions of people around the world living every day without that assurance and searching for it in places that only return empty. That's why the mission of Back to the Bible Canada is so critical. This ministry exists to resource people with the only source of eternal hope and truth as revealed in God's Word, both faithful and uncompromised. As we close out our calendar year, the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada have a goal to raise $517,000 by December 31st. Please join us as lives are changed through the consistent faithful teaching and engagement of the Bible. Consider a gift today. 
by calling us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.